Welcome back to Mastering Retail, a podcast series about how to succeed in the world of e-commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential. As you already know, this season, we're focusing on Amazon. If you haven't already picked up on this, winning on Amazon is no easy feat. You don't just roll out of bed one day and decide, today I am winning on Amazon. For this episode, we'll zoom out a bit from the very tactical aspects of Amazon for a little change of pace because hey, even I need that. And I'm very excited to bring you along. We'll break down the skills to look for when acquiring talent, how to design your organizational structure for e-commerce, and how to efficiently scale your digital commerce team in a second. And you'll even hear more about dogs, but also marathons, and what's been on this guest's digital wish list. So since you're here, you might as well stick around for the whole thing. Let's scrap that. That was too wordy, in my opinion. As a reminder, if you dare forgot, my name is Emma Irwin, and I am your host for this series. I entered the e-commerce industry with my first professional job about a year ago. I am on a quest, a journey, to learn as much as I possibly can about this space. In the spirit of learning and continuing to talk with Essential's brightest minds, I'm just trying to think of something that makes me sound smart. I wanted to talk to one of the current leaders of my company, Flywheel Digital, our EVP named Alex McCord. I'm Alex McCord. I'm EVP and Managing Director here at Flywheel. I'm in charge of making Flywheel grow. I've been here for a while now. I helped to scale the business from 10 employees when I joined uh, to now over 400 employees in the past five years. My job at the company is to work with the rest of our leaders to ensure that we've got the right team in place, we've got the right technology in place, that we can continue to scale and grow the company. So growth is really my core remit here, but I do wear a lot of hats at the company. We're going to be talking about Mitel at its core, as well as Alex's three key considerations that need to be taken into account when building a digital commerce team. How quickly do you scale that team? You need doers. This is a doing environment. And then also just the connectivity between sales and marketing. Obviously, understanding the foundations of winning on Amazon is important, but you also need a team of people to make growth and success happen. We're always looking for people who are questioning the why and seeking to understand the why. While Alex isn't managing our company, he's casually running marathons. I actually just finished my first marathon uh, a few weeks ago, and I've got another one coming up in a couple weeks. And that's marathons with an S at the end, just so we're clear, which I learned after asking him our recurring question of what the last thing he purchased on Amazon was. For me, probably uh, Cliff Energy Blocks. I've been training for a marathon for the past couple of months here. I actually just completed my first one a few weeks ago. And so I've been buying a lot of training equipment on Amazon, including energy gels and those types of things. I'm very fortunate that Flywheel has a, a vibrant fitness kind of community within the walls. And so we've got a run club at the company. And so about two years ago or so, I started running with coworkers at work. I couldn't finish a mile in July of 2021 and then uh, decided I was going to set out to start a marathon a few months ago and just finished it. So I think more than anything, just kind of, I like the idea of setting a goal and achieving a goal, but I don't derive all that much joy from running. So I know that sounds a little backwards. All right. So the next question that I have for you, you're going to think about it for a while and then we will circle back to it at the end of the podcast. But what is something that has been on your digital wish list 
for probably a long time that you just won't press the buy now button for. It just sits in your cart. You're making everyone at that retailer so sad that it just is sitting in your cart and you won't convert on it. So think about that. We'll come back to it. So prior to this podcast, I had asked you to think about three key considerations for building a digital commerce team. The first one you gave me has to do with talent. So what are the skill sets that you look for when recruiting talent for digital commerce, whether that be on the manufacturer side or the agency side? I know there's a, that's a lot to take in, but go. The industry can sometimes be a little bit too obsessed with resume in this space. And part of our prior conversation, your domain expertise is only as good as it is fresh, right? And so somebody who used to work at Amazon is going to be really, really useful immediately. But if they don't maintain that domain expertise over time, what they know about the world will change over time. And so when we're looking at talent, that's one of the key things that we keep in mind, which is we want to look for the skill sets that the individual has and the way that they think as the first, foremost, and most important thing when we're looking to recruit, as opposed to just the resume alone, right? And so what are those types of things that we look for? For us, intellectual curiosity is by far and away the most important thing. If somebody has an intellectual curiosity, they'll be very successful in this space. And so we're always looking for people who are questioning the why and seeking to understand the why because dealing in digital commerce is a lot of grace. It's a lot of things that are not clearly defined. There is no black and white answer. It's a lot of ambiguity and it's a lot of finding your own way. And so people that are motivated by ambiguity tend to be very intellectually curious and they want to figure out why things work and how they can do things better. And so we try to tease that out in our interview process. And we've observed that with our clients too, when they build their teams, folks that are intellectually curious and seek to understand why the platforms work the way they do, or why we do things the way that, that we do things, uh, tend to be very, very successful. So with intellectual curiosity, is that something that you can teach? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. We're very rigorous when we're looking to hire across all elements of our business to make sure that folks can demonstrate that they are intellectually curious. We want people that have the ability to critically think and seek to understand the why. And I think that it's a trait that can be sharpened over time. But in my personal opinion, I think there's a bit of it that is innate. And some folks approach the world with an intellectual curiosity. And those folks tend to be very strong within the digital commerce arena. And so we're always looking for them on our side. And we're always encouraging our clients too, as they're building their internal teams, to use that as a, as a nice benchmark for, as a skill set when they're building out their teams. I remember when I got hired, I was in the interviews, I was asked a question, what do you think it sells more on Amazon, dog food, diapers, or Doritos? And I think that that was the turning point in which whoever hired me was like, yes, because I thought about it for so long. I was like, well, the easy way to think about it is X, Y, and Z. However, let's pretend that we're in a store and you're thinking about lifting the dog food. And this is also a common theme in this podcast is lifting dog food off of a shelf. But and I was thinking about the diapers and I was like, let's say you have your baby. It takes so much space in the cart. The Doritos, those could break. And it was I think that was what got me hired was I went on and on for a long time thinking about all the different ways that you could buy those things and why someone might be buying something a certain way. The real answer to the question is there is no definitive answer that we expect a candidate to know, but we want a candidate to show that they can think through the variables that would impact the size of those categories online. 
i.e. Doritos is a brand versus those other things are categories. So by nature, Doritos should probably be smaller. Certain things are more subscribe and savable. Certain things are heavier. And so they're more fit for use for the e-commerce class of trade. The people that have dogs as a percentage of the population, the people that have kids as a percentage of the population are different, right? We don't expect that people come in, they know exactly the percentages of these different variables. But if they can think through those things and give a thoughtful answer, it shows that they care enough and they're able to think on their feet and they're able to think in a critical way. And that type of thing is very helpful when you're in this industry. So we don't ever grade, uh, are you right or are you wrong? But we grade, can you think through in a logical manner to get from A to B? Continuing the conversation of talent, Alex tells us more about what else needs to be considered. A couple other things that we look for. One is uh, the ability to be an effective storyteller. And this applies both to agency side folks and to folks that work manufacturer side, because by the nature of the beast, digital commerce is very different than other classes of trade. And so if you work manufacturer side, that means a lot of your job is going to be spent trying to distill, translate, and educate on what is going on in these classes of trade, why it's different, and why you either need assortment or you need funding or you need whatever it might be, executive sponsorship for these digital commerce classes of trade. If you're an effective storyteller and an effective communicator, then you can be wildly effective in these roles. You could be a complete data whiz, but if you can't weave that story and you can't garner the right support internally, you're going to struggle, right? And so agency side, you know, storytelling is a critical piece of, of how you effectively communicate the work that you're doing. And so storytelling and the ability to effectively build a narrative around what's happening, translate and educate, those are all skills sets that, that play very well in this environment, no matter which side of the fence that you're on. So that's a, another one we look for. And then the third one is just a comfortability with data, right? We don't expect that folks come in and all have data science degrees. We do have a dedicated data science team here, but we do expect that folks are comfortable using and manipulating data. They're comfortable with at least foundational knowledge in Excel and, and relevant uh, functions like that, because ultimately that's where value is unlocked by being able to use data to make data-informed decisions and to make decisions manually in, in an automated fashion. And so we want folks to be able to not necessarily be experts in data, but to not shy away from it, right? And I guess that somewhat tangentially rolls back into intellectual curiosity. But for me, intellectual curiosity, ability to be a good storyteller, and a comfortability making decisions based off of data, if you have those three things, we can kind of teach you the craft. But if you don't have those three things, it's a lot harder to get somebody ramped up here. Next, Alex talks about bringing in the right levels of seniority. It might seem like bringing in a team of people all in senior roles is great and efficient, but... You need doers. This is a doing environment. It is a largely a self-service environment still. And while, of course, there are relationships to manage and you need senior folks to manage those relationships, you need folks that are willing to roll up their sleeves and be practitioners. Bringing a lot of folks in that are just strategists is something that ultimately can hamstring because you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but not many people that are willing to go do. And so uh, for us, making sure you have that foundational layer of people that are willing to work with the platforms and be curious and apply that to actually you know, making the trains run on time is really critically important. Our next consideration is avoiding the common mistakes that you can make when building a digital commerce team, which you might think is obvious. However, the mistakes are common for a reason. One of the key mistakes that we've seen, and, and this has stopped happening as much, but used to happen quite frequently, is just how quickly do you scale that team? 
And so uh, historically, digital commerce teams have been relatively bootstrapped compared because the size of business is significantly smaller than the traditional classes of trade. And then when senior leaders say, hey, we want to go all in, or you may want to outsource more, but making sure that you're having those decisions at a senior level when you set out to scale is an important piece of making sure that you're scaling in a thoughtful manner. Challenging because what we've seen happen time and time again is the team gets overbuilt and then a year later, a year and a half later, two years later, then that team gets chopped, but you're losing a lot of the domain expertise by having that pendulum swing. And so perhaps this is my own bias in nature here, but because we built Flywheel from nothing to what it is today, been a fan of making sure that that growth is sustainable and scalable first, being a comfortable bootstrapping until you need to, and then being thoughtful about what the roles are that you need filled. As a reminder, you're listening to Mastering Retail, a podcast masterclass on winning in e-commerce. Let's pause Alex here before we get to the last consideration to dwell a little bit more about the name of this podcast. Retail is the intersection of media and retail, given the cheeky name. But really, the more philosophical, it's just the acknowledgement that the two are completely interdependent. When you're thinking about digital commerce, you can't be successful at running media on retail media platforms if you don't understand how the retail elements work. And your retail elements will never be as successful as they possibly can without driving effective media. And so that's kind of both the exciting and the challenging part of working in this space is how do you continue to break down the silos between retail and media to drive optimal results and the acknowledgement that with only one of the two elements at any given time, uh, you're never really going to fully reach your potential. And then for anyone who's listening that doesn't fully understand what media means or what retail means, can you name like one kind of task, basic task that someone would do if they're working on the media side or the retail side? I realize I'm always a little bit inside baseball when I talk about this stuff, but colloquially, when I say media, referring to search advertising, display advertising, connected TV advertising within retailer platforms or intermediaries. And then from a retail perspective, I kind of colloquially refer to that as a catch-all to mean everything else. So digital planogram management, creative optimization, supply chain optimization, confirming purchase orders, negotiating back with retailers, all of the sales supply chain type work that is a quasi-proxy for what used to happen, but continues to happen in brick and mortar environments, but just within the digital commerce space. And now back to our last consideration, which is about understanding what needs to be in-sourced versus outsourced when building your digital commerce team. What are the best functions that you should build out in-house and what are the best things that you should look to outsource, right? And that's an ongoing debate. It's not unique to digital commerce. It's been a key part of the advertising industry for forever, but it's a specifically and especially salient here because digital commerce is so complicated, right? Uh, if you want to be successful in this place, you need to understand things like market share. You need to understand things like what's happening on the digital shelf. And no matter how many humans you hire, you're never going to have enough eyeballs to look at every single product page that you have across every single digital commerce platform every day. And so there are certain functions like that where outsourcing makes a ton of sense to have dedicated practices that are able to do that work for you at scale by leveraging technology that they built. I'm obviously biased, but for things like advertising, uh, working with an API-enabled partner is going to give you a sophistication where you're able to be making programmatic bid adjustments 24 hours a day across these different platforms. And that's a sophistication that most manufacturers are not going to have internally. And so uh, 
there are certain elements where you want to understand what are the skill sets that your internal team needs, how many folks do you need, and then what are the things that are better enabled by technology, and if there are brands, whether those brands are flywheel or not, that have created those technical solutions, they can add your scale. And so I think being really thoughtful about what are the functions that are needed for me to be successful and for my digital commerce team to be successful, and what are the parts of this business that better serve using an external provider or external technology, and what are the pieces that we'd rather do uh, internally is an important consideration. Those are always evolving over time. And as your business gets more mature, you may want to insource more or you may want to outsource more, but making sure that you're having those decisions at a senior level when you set out to scale is an important piece of making sure that you're scaling in a thoughtful manner. At Flywheel, we like to call ourselves masters of Metail. And being able to think in this mindset is something that makes us really unique. We've been doing it for a really long time. We're really fortunate here that our co-founders saw this opportunity really early and they created Flywheel when Amazon announced that they were going to launch a paid search platform. You know, the general industry stat that 64% plus of all clicks are on the first three items on any given search term on Amazon. And so the idea that all of a sudden there's going to be a paid search platform where you can jump organic is a massive opportunity. Again, we were super fortunate that our co-founders saw that and created the company specifically to chase that opportunity. But they and myself and and others uh, had been helping brands win on Amazon well beyond that and well before that platform even existed. And so we were a first mover here and the first to integrate into the retail media APIs as that become available. But beyond that, it's not just a first mover advantage. It's more culturally kind of that, I guess, just test and learn culture, if you will, that's enabled that, right? We really focus on making sure that we're getting our hands dirty and, and using a practitioner mindset to understand and adapt when new technology or new APIs are available so that we can stay up in front. And then we've got a strong culture of kind of codifying that knowledge to make sure that as newer colleagues come into the business, they don't have to learn by doing all the same mistakes that previous colleagues have. They can learn from the mistakes from before. Because Alex has mentioned mistakes that have been made, I asked Alex if he's made any. Of course we have, right? I think every company has. If, if you say no, then you're probably lying. But I would say, you know, one that comes to mind is just how do you scale other markets, right? And uh, for us, we are a U.S.-based company originally, and 100% of our business used to be U.S.-based. And now we're a global organization. And I think as we look to scale first to Europe and now into APAC and now into any geography in which Amazon has a platform, historically, we did that slowly and before there was demand. And so we struggled to really get that scale. And so the wake-up call that we had about 18 months ago is we really need to forward invest here because we need to truly be a global solution. And what does that mean? It means every market that we're in, we need to bring in native language expertise, even if that market is very small for us. And it means that we need to have enough folks in our European-based office to run a truly global company. And so what was maybe three years ago, an office of three or four people, is now an office of almost 90 people and allows us to have a European operation that is best in class and just as strong as our one in the US. But I think if I'm being self-critical, I was a little slow to to adopt to that and wanted to let revenue dictate those decisions when in reality, we needed to, to forward invest there and grow that business first so that we could be a true global solution. And I think that's worked quite well. So, you know, I was uh, a little bit in my own way back in the day, but I think we've, we've sorted that out in, in a way that I'm, I'm quite proud of now. You might think that by the end of this podcast series, you'll have fully mastered Metail. But, (laughs) spoiler, it doesn't quite work like that. This is a, a space and an arena that's constantly evolving. The rapid change that we've seen even if you look at just Amazon alone and, and how large their advertising business is, it's you know exponentially larger than it was when, when we set out on this mission. And 
how things operate, how clients are thinking about the space, how retailers are thinking about the space, how ad tech works, how retail automation works in the back end has evolved many, many times in just the past year alone. And so whatever mastery you have now, it fades pretty quickly. And so it's part of the reason that at Flywheel, we try to keep this practitioner mindset. We don't have anybody at the company that is a strategist. Everybody rolls up their sleeves because staying with that firsthand knowledge and that firsthand domain expertise is how you keep the closest thing to mastery as you possibly can. But even if you are a master right now, you won't be a master in the future if you're not a practitioner. And so to survive, you've really got to have that intellectual curiosity and be willing to jump headfirst into the unknown. And I think we do a pretty good job at that, but it is isn't kind of an ongoing and enduring journey. Before I could let Alex go, we had to revisit the thing that's been on his digital wish list for far too long. I've been waffling on buying new plateware, dinnerware for a long time. Mine is pretty beat up and I've got like three different brands and I just can't make up my mind. So I've had three sitting in my cart for probably two or three months at this point and I cannot figure out which one I want to purchase. So that is the the one thing which sounds kind of silly, but I have not been able to pull the trigger yet. I have one more question for you. Imagine yourself in an alternate lifestyle. Who would you be? What would you be doing if it weren't this? And you're not allowed to say, oh, I would do this in any plane of the universe because that's boring but a totally different career for yourself. When I was younger, I always thought I was going to be a paleontologist. And when I say younger, I mean at age three or four, I actually got pulled up at the stage at the Grand Old Opry and they asked me what I wanted to be. And at age three, I said paleontologist. My family has like a home recording of me doing that. When I grew older, uh, somehow I guess I lost that spark. And so I could say paleontologist. My joke is that whenever I'm done in this industry, I'm gonna go teach paddleboarding somewhere on a beach. And so I think that's where my true other passion lies other than selling soap on the internet. Dogs are a common theme in this podcast. We have a lot of dogs in the office. And so I'm pretty sure that you don't have a dog. So what is wrong with you? And (laughs) tell me about that. I grew up with no pets. I've never had a pet in my life. I'm also allergic, so I think the two are probably somewhat interrelated. And so when I joined Flywheel and learned it was a dog-friendly office, I was a little bit nervous about that. And I have grown to both uh, lose my allergy to the dogs in the office and learn to really embrace the dogs in the office. Will you ever own a pet? Never say never. I'm not in a specific rush. I live a pretty busy lifestyle, and the idea of me owning a pet really means that a lot of that responsibility would fall on my wife because I'm on the road so much for work. So there's a chance, but not in the the near future there. Fair, fair. Genetics did you dirty with a dog allergy. They did. (laughs) That wraps up another episode of Mastering Meatail. Please tune into our next episode where we will dig into everything content related, such as the importance of content on the digital shelf, how to fine tune your content processes, and even just what all the different opportunities for content that exist on Amazon are. Are you liking this podcast so far? If so, please follow us and spread the word. You can also get in touch with me at emma.erwinatessential.com or on LinkedIn. This podcast is produced by a digital commerce at Essential. The producer is Klaus Cancel, and our sound designer on this episode is Enos Satenji. See you next time.